Hey, if you have your Bibles, you might open them to Matthew chapter 3. I promise we will get there. It might take us a few minutes, but that's where we're going to spend a good part of the morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one of these that looks like this somewhere around you. I'd love for you to pick that up and uh, follow along. If you don't own a Bible, uh, that's our gift to you. Take that home with you. It's on page 676 in this Bible. If you have your own Bible, I can't really help you with the page number, but you can find it. Matthew uh, chapter 3. We're going to talk about baptism today. And that may not seem very exciting to you, but we're going to do our very best uh, to make it exciting. Even though baptisms are my very favorite thing to do in the church, we do baptisms a few times a year here, and we make them a big celebration, a big party, and so it's one of my favorite things. But it's not always my favorite thing to talk about. And here's why. If you are a Christian, or if you grew up in a church in any kind of Christian tradition, uh, you probably have an opinion about baptism about how often we should do it, about how they're done. In fact, you may have grown up, maybe you grew up in a tradition where uh, infants are baptized. That's part of the birthright that they they get. Or perhaps you grew up in a church uh, that sprinkled water for baptism instead of submersing people. Or or whatever tradition you grew up in, it probably shaped your opinion about baptism because everybody has an opinion about this. Uh, So when we start to talk about it, it gets a little uncomfortable sometimes. The reason I want to talk about it today is because baptisms are a really, really big deal around here. And so I know, I want you to know right up front that I'm preaching with an agenda today. All right, usually I save uh, my, my main point for the end. I save the conclusion for the end of the message. But I want to tell you, I want to let you know right up front, my agenda today is that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you've never been baptized, I want you to be baptized next week. And so hopefully as we talk about that, you'll be motivated to do so. And listen, I know it can be a very emotional topic for some people. And the reason that it can be emotional, like I said, is the way that we're raised. We get around somebody who does something a little differently than we do, and we get a little uncomfortable. We maybe get a little bit defensive about that. And my way is right, and your way is just weird. And that's not, I completely understand that, okay? And so uh, what I want to do is look at what Scripture says about baptism. All right, I didn't grow up in a church Uh, Many of you know, if you know my story, I spent much of my life separate from Christ, Uh, but I was fortunate in that for a few very formative years, I was in a very good Bible-believing church from about the time I was 11 till the time I was 15 or so, and I had accepted Christ, I was baptized there, Uh, but in that church, we had the baptismal full all the time. And so it was just ready to go, uh, just waiting for someone to come forward and uh, proclaim they're ready to be baptized, and it almost never happened. Okay, but when it happened, it was always there, so it just kind of became part of the routine. It was part of the the background. It was almost like wallpaper. You know, the baptismal was there, and if anybody wanted to come forth and use it, they could, but it didn't happen very often, but it happened for me in that church. But regardless of where you were raised, regardless of what kind of church that you grew up in, or the reason that we believe that baptism is so important probably comes from the same text. It's the words of Jesus that we find in Matthew 28, verse 19. You don't have to turn there. It'll be on the side screen. But Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've ever experienced a baptism here at Genesis Church, you know that's what we do. When we uh, baptize people, we baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You might have thought that was just some cool church lingo or something that we made up, but it's not. We get it right out of Scripture from Matthew 28, 19. That's what Jesus commanded us to do. He said, when you baptize people, I want you to baptize people in God's name, which that makes sense, right? And then Jesus said, I want you to baptize people in my name. Now, that might have been a little uh, heretical for people at the time to baptize people in the name of Jesus. And I want you to do it in the name of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says, wherever you go, 
Wherever you go and make disciples, whenever somebody turns to me for salvation, I want you to baptize them as part of that transformational process. Now, that's where almost all Christians agree. You know, there's no denying that Jesus said Christians should be baptized, but after this verse, people go in a lot of different directions. And people argue with one another, and they wonder, you know, is my arm going to be in heaven because it didn't go all the way under when I got baptized? Or, or if your baby's going to go to heaven if they weren't sprinkled and then something happens to them? Or, or grandpa who accepted Christ on his deathbed but was never able to be fully immersed, is he going to be in heaven? You know, he didn't have the strength to have that happen. So this morning, I want to talk about what Scripture has to say about baptism. And I want you to understand the historical context of baptism as well. Where did this weird ritual come from? And, and when we put those two things together, all right, where, where it came from and what scripture has to say about it, when it comes less about church tradition, all right, and more about what scripture says, I think it becomes a lot less confusing and hopefully a lot less divisive topic. And again, my agenda is, if you are a Christian, a follower of Christ, and you've never been baptized, I want you to obey this verse, Matthew 28, 19, because I've been told, all right, as a pastor of this church, I've been told by Christ that whenever I make a disciple, I'm supposed to baptize them. And so to start this discussion, we need to understand some Greek. You'll have to bear with me a little bit. It's been since high school since I had any Greek, okay? And, uh, the, but fortunately, it's just one word, and it's this word right here. It's the word that's translated as baptize in your English Bible. It's the word baptizo. Let's say it together, okay? Baptizo. Oh, that was weak. One more time. Baptizo. You can't read Greek letters? What's up with you guys? Now, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, most of the New Testament, and, and not many of us read Greek, so uh, we're thankful, right, that those original Greek transcripts were translated into English, and many other languages for that matter, but we're thankful that they were translated into English for us, right? And so when those, uh, there are two basic types of translations when those scriptures were translated into English. There's the, what's called the thought-for-thought translation, Okay, and there are some translations that use this, and that is, I'm going to take the original thought and the original context, and I'm going to translate that thought into an English sentence. All right, and so what they're doing is they're trying to capture uh, the meaning behind the phrases that are used. They try to capture the, the feeling and the context of what's going on there. That's one way. And the other way that these things are translated is called a word-for-word translation. And so they take the actual Greek word, and they say, okay, what's the English word for that? And we're going to use the actual words that are used, and then they'll put them in the right order uh, for English. So those are the two kinds of translations. So um, when they see the word, for instance, when they see the word theos, they will replace that with God. Theos is the Greek word for God. When they see the word gnosko, they replace that with the word knowledge. That's the English word for knowledge. But some words, what happens when they go to translate this, some words don't have an exact one-for-one translation, an exact English counterpart. And this word, baptizo, is a great example of that. So what happened is, in these instances, uh, when they're translating this word, they get to this word, they don't translate the word, but they do what's called a transliteration of the word. All right, and here's what transliteration means. It's when you take the letters in the original language and you simply change those to the corresponding letters of the language you're translating into. So baptizo is beta, alpha, pi, tau, iota, zeta, omega, all right? And so they'd say beta is B, that's the English letter for B, Uh, alpha is A, pi is P, Uh, tau is T, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so they get the word baptize. So the word baptize is not a translation. It wasn't an English word before the Bible was translated. It's a transliteration. 
A new word was formed in the English language from the Greek because there was no suitable counterpart from Greek to English. And so what's happened is that in English, the word baptize or baptism has become almost exclusively a religious word. It's, it's almost never used anywhere else. I mean, you might hear it used in other ways, but at its core in the English language, this word has its root in the New Testament, in the Greek New Testament. And what we need to realize is historically this was not the case. The Greek word, baptizo, it was a very common word in the first century. It meant to wash or to plunge or to soak or to dip in water. And so one of the clearest examples of this word being used in a non-religious context uh, comes from the Greek poet and physician, a man named Nicander. Nicander lived about 200 BC, so about 200 years before Christ came. And it's a recipe for making pickles of all things, all right? And Nicander says that in order to make a pickle, the vegetable should first be dipped, baptizo, into boiling water, and then dipped, baptizo, into a vinegar solution. And then when the pickle dies, it goes to heaven, right? Well, no, of course not. That's ridiculous. He's using this very common Greek term, baptizo, because it had a very common meaning, to, to soak or to plunge or to dip. Now, here's where it can get confusing, because sometimes in your English Bible, when the Greek word baptizo is used, Translators use the word wash, all right? Where they, sometimes they use the word wash. They just translate it. And sometimes they transliterated it as baptize. Let me give you a few examples of where the word is, not, is, is translated as wash. So here's one in Mark 7, 4. Mark uh, is writing about the Pharisees, and he says this, Mark 7, 4. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they baptizo, unless they wash. Now, they need to get baptized to eat? No. Of course not. They're saying, he's saying, before they eat, they need to wash. And then he goes on, and they observe many other traditions, such as the baptizo, the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. It's just a common use of a common term, easy to translate. Wash your dishes, baptizo your dishes. It's disgusting to eat on dirty dishes, and so you're going to wash your dishes, right? You're going to baptizo them first. Here's another example. Luke 11.38 says this, But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first baptizo before the meal. Now, is the Pharisee surprised that before Jesus eats, he doesn't go get dipped in the water and baptized? Well, no. He's talking about, very simply, uh, washing up for dinner. Well, actually, it's a little bit more complicated than that. He's talking about a ceremonial washing that often happened before dinner. But there again, it just means to wash. And so that leads up to this question. This is the question I have when I hear this, and maybe you've got the same question. How does this very common word that just means to wash or to dip or to plunge or to immerse, how did it take on religious, theological meaning or connotation. In other words, why didn't when the translators get to the word baptizo, why didn't they always just translate that as wash, and why didn't they just put wash? Why didn't Jesus say, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, washing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? And even as I say that, that sounds really ridiculous, doesn't it, to have the the, uh, disciples walking around with a scrub brush, right? Like, we're going to get up here next week, we're going to put the baptismal up here, and when you come up, we're going to get some soap suds and and rubber duckies and have them floating in the tub, and we're going to wash you in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. If they would have just translated that word, that's what it would have said, you know, washing them. And and let's be honest, it's kind of funny to think about that. So I want to explain how the word baptizo began to take on some religious meaning. So for many centuries, I, I think you know this, if you know your Bible at all, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people were the chosen people of God. And, and almost all of the Jewish population was born into that population. They were Jewish by heritage. They were Jewish by tradition. 
and, and you look at the Jewish people. I mean, you just look back at the Old Testament and the history of the Jewish people and what they endured, what they had to put up with, the way they were treated. And uh, not many people would say, yeah, I want to be part of that crowd, right? I mean, the way that they were uh, made slaves in so many places, they were exiled so many times. There aren't a lot of people that were saying, hey, I want to become a Jew. I want to be part of that. But what would happen is some of the non-Jewish people, we call them the Gentiles, some of the Gentile population would actually look at the Jewish people and realize that they had a very special relationship with God. And so from time to time, some of the Gentile people would want to be part of the nation of Israel. And there would be a very specific uh, ritual, a very specific set of things that they would have to do if you were going to convert from being a Gentile to a Jew. All right, so non-Jews who wanted to convert to Judaism would have to do this. First of all, if you were a male, you had to be circumcised. That's a non-starter for a lot of guys right there. I mean, if you don't know, circumcision is a surgery. Never mind, you probably already know what it is, so I'm not even going to talk about it. So if you were a guy, you had to be circumcised, and then they they would eat a covenant meal together. And then you would have to acknowledge the law. You would have to agree to surrender to the law of Moses, to live under the full law. Uh, you would have to make a sacrifice. So you'd have to go in front of the priest and, and bring a sacrifice. And then finally, there would be a ceremonial washing that was part of this conversion. All right, as part of this conversion from Gentile to Jew, you would do a ceremonial washing. Now, it's important to note here that this washing was not a public event. It was something that was done in private by yourself. Nobody else was there. But you're saying, I'm cleaning myself of my Gentileness. You know, I'm cleansing myself of my sin. I'm cleansing myself of my old way of life. And as I become new, I'm now identifying with Judaism and and the God of the Jews. And the word that was used to describe this whole conversion process with the the circumcision, the covenant meal, the acknowledgement of the law, uh, and everything, that word was baptizo. That was the word that was used. But it was a specific kind of baptizo. It was a ceremonial baptizo, a ceremonial washing was the last part that indicated a change, a leaving behind of the Gentile way of living and a conversion to the ways of the Jewish people. So that's the Old Testament context. Now, with all that as a backdrop, about 30 AD, something weird and crazy starts to happen. One day, this wild-eyed, crazy guy named John, who wore animal skins and ate locusts and honey, showed up by the Jordan River, and he began telling anyone who would listen, repent, repent and be baptizo. That's what he would say. Repent. God is about to do something in our midst. He says, God is going to show up among us and he's going to do something new and amazing. He said, and if you're not right with God, you're going to miss it. This guy named John, and he went down to the Jordan River and he said, if you're ready to repent, come in the water with me. And whatever he did, whatever he was doing there, it looked like some sort of ceremonial washing, but it wasn't in private. It was in public, and so when they went to write and describe, when the original authors of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when they went to describe what was happening there, they used this word, baptizo, because it looks so much like the conversion, except it was being done in public. And the Jewish people understood that John wasn't washing off their dirt. He was somehow associating this washing with his message. God's going to do something new. You need to be right with him. You need to repent, and so come down into the river, and I'm going to baptizo you, just like what it was like when a Gentile would become a Jew. And just like the Gentile was in, in, in identifying with a new way of life through that washing, John Baptizo was the same kind of thing. Somehow the Jews were becoming something different. They were identifying with a new way of life through John's baptism. And so after a while, John got a nickname. His nickname was John the Baptist, right? Now, I, might, I thought that that was just because he grew up in the Baptist church, 
You know, I didn't know any better. You know, maybe you thought uh, that was his last name. But check this out. This is so interesting to me. When we see John's name uh, written in Greek, this is what it looks like. Uh, John, the, the word ho is the, John, the, baptistes. John, the, baptistes. John, the, baptizer. Now, this is interesting because this derivative of the word baptizo was never used, to my knowledge, it was never used anywhere until this passage is written in the Greek New Testament. There wasn't a word for what to do this. Remember, this baptizo, this washing, was something that you did to yourself in private before John came along. So here's what this tells us. It tells us that when the people saw what John the Baptist was doing, they didn't have a word for it. Nobody had ever ceremonially washed another person before. Remember, it was in private. And so uh, this had never been done before. They didn't know what to call it. So he became literally John the Washer, right? John the Dipper, John the Immerser. So the only time you see this terminology in Greek literature beginning in the first century uh, because this was something brand new. They needed a new word for it as people would come, would line up, and John would baptizo them. He became John the Baptizer. And so that's what people were doing in this ceremonial washing. They were declaring, I believe what John says is true. And I'm going public with the fact that what he says is true. It's not enough to stand on the bank of the Jordan River and hear him preach and shout out an amen every once in a while. He says, come on down into the water if you believe what I say and make it public. Don't be ashamed of my message, but come down here in the water and prove what you believe. And the people responded. And they were lining up to experience this new baptizo that John was calling people to. And so one day, as John's doing his thing, he's baptizing people in the Jordan River. He stops, and he looks up, and he sees Jesus walking along the riverbank, and he says, behold, okay, imagine this moment. You have identified with this message of John. He tells you that God is about to do something new and incredible, and you want to be identified with it, and he stops right in the middle of it, and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he looks, and they look at who he's pointing to, and he's pointing to this man, Jesus. He's right here among us. And that's where we get to Matthew chapter 3. And so if you've got your Bibles open, Matthew 3, 13, this is what happens. And Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to be baptized by me? In other words, There's no way. I am not fit to baptize you. You need to baptize me. John says, there's nothing to be washed off of you. But then Jesus replies, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And he ends up baptizing Jesus. See, what Jesus was doing in this moment was affirming the message of John the Baptist. He says, yes, I am the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. And yes, what you're doing is right. In fact, I want to be a part of it. And people standing around the river, the people washing their clothes, the kids splashing and playing in the river, they probably had no idea of the significance of what they were seeing. And so then after Jesus is baptized, what we see is his disciples go out and they start baptizing people. It's happening under the watchful eye of Jesus as people hear his message and they believe what he's saying. They line up and the disciples would baptize them. And so that's how this practice got its start. 
It started with one man in the Jordan River, this man, John the Baptist, John the Baptizer. And after he baptizes Jesus, Jesus goes out with his disciples and they start doing the same thing. They start baptizing people. And when Jesus is getting ready to leave the earth, he gives us that last instruction from Matthew 28 that we saw earlier. Go and make disciples and baptize them. He says, it's not enough just to follow Jesus on the inside. I want to see evidence of it on the outside. I want you to baptize them into this new way of life. So with all that history, all that as a backdrop, I want to share very quickly four things that we hold as true about baptism here at Genesis Church. And these are in your notes if you've got a note card when you walked in, if you want to follow along. The first one is this. Baptism represents death, burial, and resurrection. Okay, death, burial, specifically the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. And so again, the literal translation of baptizo is to dip or to immerse. And that's one reason why we do baptism by immersion. We try to go all the way under and all the way back up. Now, another reason is this scripture from Romans 6. Uh, years after John started this trend of baptism, and the, Jesus affirmed it, and the disciples are going place and place, telling them what Jesus told them to do, baptizing people, the apostle Paul, who came along just a little bit later, writes this in Romans 6. He says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. And so when you go down into the water, we recognize this. When we're baptizing people here, we we bring you down into the water and we say dead to sin, right? Death, burial, dead to sin. And then when we pull you back up, some are easier than others, okay? We pull you back up, we say alive in Christ. It's also why our shirts that we wear on Baptism Sunday say alive, right? Because we believe that that baptism represents death and burial of the old you and as a resurrection of a new you. In fact, if you have an alive shirt, if you've ever been baptized here at Genesis Church or if you've been part of a baptism service and for some reason you have one of our alive shirts, would you wear it next Sunday just as a way of standing in solidarity with those people being baptized? I'd love to see that as part of our party. Everybody have their alive shirts on. So baptism represents death, burial, and resurrection. Number two is this. Baptism is a personal declaration. Even more specifically, it's a personal declaration of a new association. You know, it's for people who have decided on their own that they want to follow Jesus and they want to be baptized. Now, this is why at Genesis Church, we don't baptize infants or very young children. In fact, if you go through uh, today, right after this service, is our dive class. If you've got kids that are, say, eight or so, or older and have been talking about being baptized, we invite you to come to the living room at 1045 right after we're done here. And um, Danielle Baum, our kids director, will be over there and she will be teaching the dive class. If you go through that, you'll know that we discourage you uh, from entertaining the thought of your child being baptized too young. Because what happens so many times is we'll get uh, young adults or adults that come and they say, I want to be baptized. I was baptized when I was uh, five, six, seven, whatever. But I didn't, they always tell say the same thing. I didn't really understand what I was doing. And because we believe that baptism is a personal declaration, we're going to ask them some questions to see if they really understand what they've signed up for. And it's not because we don't trust you. It's not because we don't believe you've got the kid's best interest at heart. But we want to make sure that they understand out of obedience what they're doing. And I know there are some of you who are just feeling, you know, I've got to get them in. I've got to get them dunked. I've got to get them in the water. What if something happens to them? And maybe that comes from the way you've been taught about baptism, but... Can I just put your heart at rest? I, I just want to tell you that there is nowhere in the Bible that God suggests that, suggests that God gets angry at a child because that child wasn't baptized before something happened to them. 
But, but you need to hear too, there are, we have no, zero, scriptural examples of babies or young children being baptized in scripture. There's nothing. There's no example of that. Baptism in the New Testament always follows someone's intentional, personal declaration to follow Jesus Christ. So baptism is a personal declaration. Number three, baptism is a public declaration. I'm going public with my faith. I'm going public that I'm associating my life with the message and the person of Jesus Christ, and my life is now going to look different because I'm embracing everything that he's about. Every once in a while, when we're getting ready to do baptisms, we'll have somebody come up and say, hey, I want to be baptized, but I don't want to do it in front of all those people. Can, you, can I come in like on Friday and get baptized by myself? And, but that kind of defeats the purpose because we want to stand in front of your friends and your family and your church and say, this is my new way of life. I want everybody to know. I want everybody to hold me accountable. This is the way. Go back for a moment, okay, to the way when John baptized Jesus. John said, I'm not worthy, right? And he was right. I mean, Jesus didn't have anything to repent of. There was nothing that needed to be washed off symbolically or otherwise. But what Jesus was doing is that moment is understood to be the beginning of his public ministry. It was the way he decided to start his three years in ministry and in, in, in being baptized, this public act. And in Jesus' baptism, he's affirming the message of John to repent, to be baptized, and to live differently. And in his baptism, Jesus is identifying with sinners, with people like you and me. His baptism symbolized what he was preparing to do for the sin problem of the world through death and burial and resurrection. And that's why Jesus began his ministry by going public with his baptism. It's like this. It's, it's like when I asked my wife to marry me, all right? I, I, got, I, was, we, I remember I, we were in the car, we were in the park, we were eating lunch, um, and I asked her if she would marry me. And if she had said, yes, I'd love to marry you, but can we not tell anybody about it? How do you think that would have made me feel? That would be ridiculous, right? Yeah, I'd love to be your... Uh, wife, but could we just kind of keep it on the down low? Maybe we won't tell anybody. Maybe you could be like my secret husband and you know, we could still live separately even. And, um, but but I'll, I'll, be your, I'll be your wife, but I, why would she do that? If she wanted everybody to know that we were getting married, right? I mean, look at me, wouldn't you? <laughs> so we had a ceremony. We invited all of our friends. We invited our came and they saw us get married. And when we did that, we were declaring publicly, I'm going to spend the rest of my life with this person. This is my new way of life. I'm no longer who I was. I'm not a single person anymore. I'm a married person. I want everybody to know about it. Baptism is symbolic of death and resurrection. It's a personal declaration. It's a public declaration. And finally, it's this, number four, baptism is evidence of salvation. Some of you grew up with a theology that says you have to be baptized to be saved. And if you die and you haven't been baptized, then there's no hope of salvation for you. But we believe very strongly that the New Testament teaches, as you read the New Testament, you look at the history of the church, what you'll find is baptism is really evidence of a change that's already happened on the inside. It's a natural next step after you've believed in your heart, right? You believe in your heart. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. After that, Jesus commanded his followers to take the next step and go public with their declaration to follow Christ. So here's the deal. I'd love for you to answer two questions for me, just as you're sitting in your seat right now. You don't have to answer these out loud, but answer them to yourself. I want you to answer honestly. Number one, are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Jesus? If somebody were to come up to you today and say, are you a Christian, what would you say? Would you say, eh, kind of? Or, yeah, or no. 
There's kind of three answers. Where there's really only two. But are you a Christian? Yes or no? What would you say? Number two is this. Have you been baptized? Not as an infant, okay, not as a very young child, not to make your parents happy, but as a conscious decision you've personally made out of obedience. And I just want to very boldly say that if you answered yes to question number one and you answered no to question number two, that you need to be baptized. Because to follow Jesus Christ is to do what he has commanded us to do and what he demonstrated for us to do. Jesus said, be baptized, and he, did, he told us that, but he also showed us by going to be baptized himself. It's simply a point of obedience. It's a point of discipleship. Now, I know there are a lot of different reasons why people don't want to be baptized. I mean, you're, some of you are scared. You don't want to get up in front of everybody. You don't want to get soaking wet. Um, some of you are worried about what your hair is going to look like. Some of you have been a Christian for a really long time, and you've never been baptized, and you think, if I get up now, and get baptized, and all these people who know me, all these people that were in my small group, all these people that I've discipled over the years, and they're going to see me get baptized now after 20 years, after 25 years of following Christ. Uh, What's that going to look like? You just need to get over that, if I can be honest with you. Some of you might be afraid I'm going to hold you down too long, and you won't be able to breathe. Well, (laughs) depends on how much sin you have in your life, okay? (laughs) I bet there's a lot of other reasons, a lot of other excuses that you've used to talk yourself out of time and time again of being obedient to baptism. But I just want to try to put this in perspective for you. Jesus died for you. He died for you. He bled to death for your sin and mine. I mean, what the things that Christ endured, even before he got to the cross, we can't even fathom how painful and humiliating that would have been. I mean, the the book of Isaiah says that, uh, um, foretold that what Jesus would endure, that he wouldn't even, when he was done, he wouldn't even look like a man anymore. He would be so mutilated and so disfigured. That's what your sin and my sin cost Jesus. And, And no one made him go to the cross. He chose that because of his great love for you and me. In fact, we see in Scripture, as we read uh, the the, um, evidence of the crucifixion, what we see is that Jesus didn't die until he said he was ready to die. Like, the people didn't kill him. I mean, it wasn't until he said, it is finished, that it was finished. Even in death, the Son of God that we serve is so powerful, he got to choose when he died. I want to tell you that just living in Hamilton County, it's easy to forget um, what a big pull that sin has in our lives. It's easy to forget how sinful a world we live in. But I believe over the past few weeks, we have gotten maybe even a providential glimpse behind the veil of what sin does in our world. I mean, if you look at what's going on in Iraq and Syria and in Israel and in Ferguson, Missouri and places close to home, it's easy to see what an impact that sin has on the world. And it's easy for us to forget what an impact that sin can have on our lives. But Christ chose to spill his own blood as payment for the sin of the world, for your sin and mine. I think working through your fears and through public embarrassment and what people are going to think, whatever your concern is, I appreciate it, but come on. When we compare that to what your Savior has done for you, don't we all just kind of lose our excuses? And and then to think that what he's done for you can be shared with so many other people. You can't let that opportunity pass by without acting on it. Because here's what's going to happen, okay? You have a story. And you may think your story is boring, but I guarantee you this. On the day you decide to come forward, if you decide, I'm going to get baptized next Sunday on September 14th, and you decide to come forward and get in the tub that's going to be standing right here next Sunday, there's going to be someone here in this audience that needs to hear what Christ has done in you. 
And they're going to hear your story. And they're going to say, that sounds exactly like my story. If he can turn his life around, maybe I can too. If she can have the confidence to do that, maybe I can too. And you have no idea how your step of obedience in this one little thing can impact someone's life for all of eternity. And you may never know their name, but they will never forget your story because it was the thing that God used them to help them find their way back to him. So if you've made a decision to follow Christ and you're thinking, I don't want to do that, I don't want to get baptized, listen, please don't rob the rest of us of knowing and hearing what God has done in your life. Please don't rob someone who needs to know and hear about the hope of Jesus who's in a very similar situation to your own. Be bold. Be obedient. Go public. Will you do it? If you're ready and you're here and you're, I want to do something different. And this is going to be a little uncomfortable, but um, you may not want to be recognized or be noticed. But if you decide you're going to be baptized, you're going to be up here next week anyway. And we're going to tell your story and we'd love to have you be a part of that. But here's what I want to do. If you're here today and you're thinking that maybe you need to be baptized next week, whether you've already been thinking about it, you've already signed up or, or you've never even thought about being baptized before you walked into this room today, uh, I want to pray for you. And so here's what I want to do. I just want you, um, if you're thinking about it, being baptized, would you just stand up right now? If you're in this room and and you've thought about being baptized, if you want to do it next week, would you just stand up right now? Is there anyone in here? Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Here's what I want to do. I want us to pray for this group of people and, and thank God for their boldness. Would you just pray with me? God, I thank you for the people standing all around this room. <clears throat> I thank you for their boldness, for their declaration that they want to they live in a new way, God, that they want to come and they want to follow you and they want everybody to see it and everyone to know it. And they're going to come forth next week and they're going to tell their story and it is going to impact so many people in this room. And I just, I'm praising you for that this morning. Lord God, as we, I look around the room, I just know that there are people here that have never made that decision to follow you. That when we ask question number one, are you a follower of Christ? That people are saying, well, no, not really. I don't really know. And God, um, just remembering what you have done for us and the grace that you exhibited on the cross. I just think there must be somebody in this room that needs to know that love and that grace this morning. And so here's what I wanna do. If you're in that group, if you've never made Christ the center of your life, if you've never submitted to his lordship in your life, you can pray this prayer with me. God, I need you in my life. You just repeat silently after me. You don't have to say it out loud. God, I need you in my life. I admit that I'm sinful, that I've done some things wrong and I'm tired of trying to fight this battle on my own. Lord, I need your son Jesus in my life. Would you come into my heart? Would you send your Holy Spirit to live inside of me, God? I wanna follow you the rest of my life. Lord, I'm so thankful for the fact that you sent your son to die for us. I'm so thankful for the fact that you didn't wait until we turned our lives around. You said, you need my help to turn your life around and I'm gonna come and show you how to live and I'm gonna come and pay the price for you. Thank you for that. We praise you for that this morning. We praise you for the amazing grace that you exhibited in our lives. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Would you give the Lord a round of applause, shout of praise? Would you stand? Would you stand and worship with us?